be continuing our series through the letter of 1 John, the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, we're going to be in chapter 4 tonight, 1 John. And what we've been looking at is what John has been repeating several times every chapter, that God is light and he is love. Light isn't just a thing or a good idea. No, it's who he is. He needs to be that. And he is love. Not just a good suggestion, not just a good plant. No, he is love. It's not just something that God does. It's who he is. And so we're going to continue on that tonight. So 1 John chapter, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is made perfect and is not made perfect in love. We love simply because he first loved us. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now after reading that, I don't even know if I need to preach. I think it's pretty clear, pretty repetitive what's going on, but uh, we're gonna unpack a few things that John is writing to his beloved. <coughs> Excuse me. Now when I was in school, I tried to like all my teachers, but the ones that I really like the best were the ones who just made everything simple. <laughs> everything simple. It was just easier to follow. And what they would do is each semester block, they would teach the same thing, the same main point, but then they would just add something to it the next class. It was still the same point, but then add another thing, add another thing. Where I had some teachers, every class was just a completely different thought. I didn't know where to jump on. I was like, oh no, I didn't do the homework, what's happening? But I really appreciated when someone would just say, here's the whole point of why you're here, but it looks like this, and it looks like this, and it looks like this. And here, this is what we see in the book of 1 John. John is just saying, no, this is who God is, but so you don't forget, and so you remember, and so you actually respond to it, 
this is what it looks like here. This is what it looks like here. And so here in the beginning of these verses, we see an exhortation. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. This is what we need to do. Then he provides a statement of duty by saying, we also ought to love one another. And then he gives a hypothesis and says, if we love one another, this will happen. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to answer this question by looking at the things that John was looking at. And the question is this, why is loving one another the duty of Christians? Why is it on us? Why do we have to be the ones that love people? If we follow Jesus, why does this have to be the response? I mean, can't we just correct people? Uh, that, that would be way easier and way better. I wouldn't, I'd sign up for that. In fact, I do it all the time. Um, can't we just pray for people without interacting with them? Can't we just see them and stand at a distance and say, I'll, I'll pray for you. That's how I'll love you. Or can't we just stay here? Can't we stay away from that and stay here? Um, but no, it's our duty as Christians to love one another. So John gives us three arguments on why this is. And all he's doing is identifying and describing and defining what love is. And he says this, one, if you follow God, God is love. That's who he is. And how do we know this? Because he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And what do we do with this? Well, we continue to love and or excuse me, he continues to love in and through us. So these are the reasons of why we must love each other. So the first one, we are to love one another simply because God is love. As we already heard in the verses, love comes from God and it's who he is. And so what John is starting off by saying, he's saying the world doesn't get to define love. This is God's job. We don't get to make it up. We don't get to say what we're comfortable with. This is his job. And this makes sense if you're reading John because he's always started with who God is. And he started with, if you want to know God, you need to know who he fully is. And he constantly talks about the Trinity. Um, and that he's more than just loving. He's actually in constant relationship of love. He's in this constant love relationship. Um, this is to say that love existed before anything was created. Have you ever thought of that? Before anything was created, if God existed, if he's the beginning and the end, that means love existed. There was love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There was no need to create something or someone in order for God to love. Why? Because God is eternally love. Um, now, as we see, God is Trinitarian. He is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. Because in a Unitarian belief or any other perspective where God is not Trinity, where you just have God and you have Jesus who's this inspired person by God or this errand boy or something like that, there's actually no love in that belief. You have to have God for who he is. Now, I don't know about you if you've been to Christian camp or if you've been in a discussion with someone and you're talking about your relationship with God, which is great, and then somebody says, explain the Trinity. And you're like, oh, uh, what time is it, right? And that, that's a hard one to explain who God is. And there's all these creative ways to do it. I, I've seen illustrations with egg, there's three in one, a triangle. You probably have a creative one. And they're all helpful, but they all kind of miss the point a little bit because you can't fully explain God. 
But what John does is he doesn't explain God. He just tells us what God does in the Trinity. And I just find that so helpful. I don't have to explain it. I just get to describe it. I just get to say, this is what it looks like. And so here's what John says. He says, in the Trinity, the Father freely gives himself to the Son so that he is both fully and eternally the Father. And the Son is fully and eternally the Son. There's no ego there, no power tripping. Likewise, the Son gives himself freely as the Son to the Father. He trusts the Father so that each is fully and eternally Son and Father. And that giving to each other, well, that's the life of the Holy Spirit, who in receiving from and giving to the Father and the Son is fully and eternally the Spirit. So the giving and receiving, this is their life. But what we call it is love. What John calls it is love. And if you've been a been at this uh, church for any time, if you've taken the established course or even the premarital uh, mentoring, you would have heard this from uh, at, at nauseum of the importance of giving and receiving love, right? We have, love has to be given and it has to be received. We can't just have a season of giving or a season of receiving or 50-50. No, it has to be happening at the same time. Because what happens is if all we do is receive, what happens is we become inward focused. Because we have no, no one to talk with. We have no one to share it with. It becomes ourselves. And so we become a little bit smaller, a little bit insular. And we become dependent on our own strength. It's stagnant. Nothing really grows from that. Because we don't have anything to give. Or on the flip side, if all you do is give love, which I've been very guilty of, I give and I give and I give, and I feel like I have the right motivation, but what ends up happening is I'm just scared about who's going to be providing love for me, who's going to be giving to me. And what happens is when I don't think anyone's going to give to me because I don't know how to receive, all I'm doing is giving, I become lonely. I become bitter. Uh, I become insecure. And so what we see here is in the relationship within the Trinity, it's just love. It's constantly giving and receiving. Now, uh, it's important to note in the New Testament, we see that God is described as substance and in nature where we see that God is spirit, God is light, God is a consuming fire as we see in Hebrews. And the false teachers of those days, and most people would say, yeah, we believe that, that God is spirit, God is light, he's a consuming fire, he's all-powerful. But when it comes to love, now we push back on that. Like, what do you mean love? Like, because I want to be love. I want to define how I feel and what I do and what gets done to me and all these things. Like, I want to be in control of that. And again, we need to be clear what John tells us is that God is love. He's not saying that loving is only one of God's many activities, but instead he's saying that God's activities are all loving activity. Whatever God does, it's loving. So if God judges, he judges in love. Not to get back to you, but because he loves you. And God doesn't condone our sin, but because he's light, this is cool, he's found a way to expose it. He's found a way to see the things that separate us from him. And what does he do? He consumes those things because he's fire. He wants those out of our lives. 
And he does this without destroying the sinner, but rather saving him. Why? Because God is love. And this is a big deal because John says, whoever does not love does not know God. Yikes. It's kind of scary. Um, and what we can conclude from that, it's rather frightening that if we do not love, then one may conclude that we do not know God. So how do we know God? Well, John continues. He says the second argument for loving one another is based on God's gift in history, the incarnation, the giving of his son, Jesus. So the giving and receiving of love is not merely the abstract truth that God is love, but because of history, it is concrete fact that God demonstrated his love for us by sending his one and only son into the world. Now we could say, if you've read the Old Testament, like didn't God manifest his love in lots of ways? Didn't he give us lots of things? Yes, the calling of Abraham, the rescuing and redeeming of Israel out of Egypt, his provision and protection in the wilderness for his people, and so much more. But supremely, God's love is seen in sending his son, his one and only son, the incarnation of Christ, God in flesh, coming for us. Now for the author John, this is a big deal. Why? Because he lived it. He got to see how broken he was and that there was no amount of culture, religion, or good effort that could get him back in right standing of God. And when he saw the Messiah come, well, this was the hope he was looking for. He saw what it looked like. He saw Jesus, his full human nature, but he also saw that he was the Christ in his messianic office coming to bring us back into right relationship as an advocate with the Father, one who speaks in our defense, the righteous one who brings us back into right relationship with him and by the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then John takes it a step further which uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time tonight. And he says this, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So the third argument that he says for loving one another is based on the reality that God's love is seen in our love, in how we treat one another, in how we treat the world. Uh, a few summers ago, I went on a camping trip to Seachelt? Is that how you pronounce it? Seachelt? You're making it up. I have no idea. Okay, Seachelt, whatever. Um, I went there, I get on the ferry, and then when I landed, there was a bus that was going to take me to my destination. And as I stepped on the bus, it said, no change given. I'm like, okay. The only problem was the bus ride was 50 cents, which is good news, but the problem was I had a $20 bill. That's all I had. So I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to spend 20 bucks on a 50-cent ride. And so I asked the guy, I said, hey, I'm from the mainland. Um, that works, right? I'm like, hey, I, I don't know if this would be helpful, but like, it'd be helpful for me. Is there any way that I could just get a ride for this time? And he goes, sorry, it's not our policy to give free rides. I'm like, oh, no. So I look on the bus, and there's only one other person on the bus and he knows what I'm about to do. And it was kind of humorous because he's sitting there in a chair and he quickly looks to his right, looks to his left. He's like, I'm stuck. 
And so I came up and I said, hey, um, I'm not sure if you heard what was going on over there, but I'm, I need 50 cents uh, to ride the bus and was wondering if, and before I could finish, he goes, take it. And I said, well, thank you. And he goes, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> so it's great. So I pay my fare. I come back and sit next to him. And I said, hey, I'm a Christian as well. And he goes, that's enough. <laughs> so it was good. It was very good. However, we are not to think of love as only as reflecting God, the eternal being, or just responding to who Jesus is, but actually, we are supposed to love others. We love God, and we love others. And John says that no one has ever seen God. Now, this is echoes of what he wrote in the Gospel of John, where he said, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only begotten Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus came to reveal the Father. And here John is saying the unseen God was once revealed in his Son, is now revealed in his people, if and when they love one another. Now, th this is important. It's not when we begin to love one another that God comes to dwell in us, but it's the reverse. Our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling presence in us. Loving one another not only means that God dwells in us, but also that his love is made complete in us. I don't know about you, but that tripped me up as I was studying for this. That was so staggering that, oh, there is something for me to do here. Like, I, I just want to love God, but to love others is like kind of the whole complete thing. And why is that? Because God's love, which originates in the Trinity, which is manifested in his son, is made complete in his people. As we see in the verses, God's indwelling presence allows for complete love. I love that. Not just love, but complete love. What we were made for as human beings. Now, people respond to the love of God differently. You've probably seen it many different ways, even in your own life. Some respond with a sense of self-superiority, right? Like, why wouldn't he love me? I'm pretty cool. This is good. Or even, oh, I'm so great. God loves me. Or we've seen some respond with doubt. Well, can God really love me? I mean, there's a history there. Can he? Some respond with wickedness, as we talked about uh, during our Decalogue series. Well, God loves me, so I guess I can do whatever I want. He's got it. He'll take care of it. And we respond, and we repay uh, goodness with evil. But God wants us to respond by knowing, by experiencing and believing the love that God has for us. Uh, when my dad was trying to date my mom, he went to pick her up for their very first date. And my uncle, who's a pastor, said... <laughs> He said, have you read Knowing God by J.I. Packer? My dad said, no, I haven't. So he gave him a copy, and he said, once you read this, you can take my sister on a date. So a couple weeks later, he read the book and took her on a date, which I thought was pretty funny. But here's a quote from J.I. Packer in the book Knowing God. And he says, there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. 
Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. So what he's saying is there's something about knowing God that completes us. It's not about doing more, but giving what you receive. As we are told, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Charles Spurgeon has this quote, and I find it very helpful for this. And he says this, Now remember, we never make ourselves love Christ more by flogging ourselves for not loving him more. We come to love those better whom we love by knowing them better. Isn't that good? We become better lovers by knowing the person better. And if you want to love Christ more, think more of him. Think more of what you have received from him. Isn't that powerful? How do I love it? That's one of the biggest things that I hear when people are struggling in their relationship with God. They're like, I just don't feel him. I don't see him. Well, do you know him? Because if you know him, you know he is with you in that very moment. Think of him more. I think that's so amazing. On the night before his death, Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give to you. Now imagine this. They've been following Jesus. They've seen miracle after miracle. They've seen the impossible made possible. And now the teacher says, I have a new command for you. Woohoo! What is it? We're going to take over the world? World domination time? What, what is this? He says, I have a new command for you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What a remarkable statement. Our identity as the disciples, as the followers of Jesus, is to be seen in our mutual love for one another. Um, when Kat and I first started dating, my wife, uh, we were in the Philippines at the time, and I went and picked her up um, at the place she was staying. And she had a few roommates, and when I came in, she was upstairs changing. <coughs> Excuse me. And the roommates were kind of cackling and laughing about something. And I said, oh, what's so funny? And they're like, oh, we're just making a list of our future husbands. I'm like, oh, interesting. Are all of you doing that? They're like, oh, I think so. And I'm like, no, there's no way. Cat's not doing that. That's great. And so we get in the car. We're driving. And I said, hey, Cat, I couldn't help but overhear your roommates were laughing about their future husband list that they were making. She goes, oh, yeah, we all made one. Oh, you did. Fantastic. And I said, well, uh, if it's okay for me to ask, just out of curiosity, how many items are on your list? She goes, oh, seven. Not bad. Seven. That's good. That's good. I said, out of more curiosity, how many? And before I could finish, she goes, one. I'm like, I only meet one on your list? She goes, yeah. And so I'm racking my brain. I'm like, is it okay if I ask which one? She goes, oh, that you love God and others. I'm like, oh, thanks. Now that's the part where we go, aw, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Have you seen me? I've got more to offer than that. I've got this uh, personality. I've got humor, uh, my sports skills, and oblong shape, like all of these things. I I've got more to offer. And it was, but then I realized, oh, Kat sees the best thing about me. 
and it's Jesus. Like, isn't that the goal? Isn't that the whole reason that we come and worship him, that we read his word, that we long to be like him and trust him in all things? Because he is the, we're not the best version of ourselves. He is. He is the true version. He is the one and only son. Like, shouldn't that be the goal? But so often, it's not. Because I, I can work harder. I can find the answer. I don't need to receive the charity. I don't need to be forgiven. I can work this out. But friends, when you're forgiven and when you're loved, oh, there's no feeling like it in the world. There's no other identity you want than in that moment. You want to be forgiven. It's beautiful and it's powerful. And so John says, friends, we are supposed to love because that, that's who the God we serve, that's who he is. And he showed us this through his son. And he continues to do this by living in and through us. And John says, no one has ever seen God, but they have seen us. And when we love one another, people can see the love of God and know that God exists. If I could invite the worship team at this time. Um, as, as you've noticed, we were reading uh, tonight through the NIV version. Um, now, all translations, uh, they're helpful. They're not perfect, but they're helpful. And the NIV I find very helpful. I read it all the time. But for this particular section, I hate to say, the NIV got it wrong. Because if you noticed in the first verse where it says, friends, let us love one another. Well, the word that John uses there, it's not friends. He uses the word beloved in the Greek. And this is very, very important because some might be able to say like, well, you know, friends is close enough to beloved, you know. But the thing with friends is sometimes it's mutual, sometimes it's not. But beloved, it means you have received something. And what he's saying is, those who have been loved, let us love one another. Isn't that powerful? Because my biggest fear, and I wonder if this was John's fear, we could just be going through this religious life, be going through this religious pursuit of trying to find how to be loving, but we actually missed love because we just didn't know how to receive well. Or we didn't know how to give well. Yet we have the example of Christ who came and loved, who was love. I just think it's phenomenal. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Um, there's no application point here. Uh, I heard one pastor say, and I really like it, he doesn't want to give application as much as implication. And here is what John is saying. Those who have been loved, remember that. Remember who you are. Remember who knows you. Remember who speaks to you in those dark places. Remember who is gracious enough to be the light that you need to see what's really going on. Remember. And then respond. Do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think if this was from any other source, I, 
I don't know, it, it would be hard to receive. It would feel like judgment. But Lord, because we do know who you are, because we have seen that what you say does match up to who you are, we just wanna respond. And as we have been loved by you, Lord, please teach us how to love, not how to conjure up more or to do more, but to respond out of the abundance that you've already given us. And Lord, if this is news for us, I pray that this would be good news, that we don't have to keep searching, that actually love has come, has always existed, has manifested itself here in us and is now wanna do life with us. So God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.